Well, good morning and uh, happy Easter to all of you. I'm uh, glad to have you with us, thrilled to have you with us, in fact. And uh, <clears throat> it's uh, a little odd with uh, uh, just three, four people here, but I love seeing your faces on, in the pew seats, and uh, so thank you, Sharla, uh, for doing that. Well, if I remember correctly, it was about uh, this time of year, spring, and it may have even been around uh, Easter. And in those days, my friend Tom and I hung out all the time. I think it was a Saturday, and Tom and I thought it would be fun to play in the giant sandbox in our backyard. As eight-year-olds, it felt like a rather benign thing to do, at least compared to the many other antics we engaged in in those growing up years. I don't know who thought of it, but we came up with the idea of building a big volcano, a real one with a big hole in the top where, where lava could flow out. It took a while, but we got it done. We built up a volcano with sand in that sandbox that was around four feet tall, along with a big hole in the top. It must have been Tom, and certainly not me, that looked at the volcano and decided that we needed some real fire. So I went into the house, grabbed some newspaper and the matches that were always right next to the fireplace, matches my parents told me never ever to play with as fire is dangerous. And so Tom and I stuffed not just the day's paper into the top of the volcano, but rather a week's worth. This is going to be great, we said to each other. One strike of a match and we had real lava, all right. Well, at that moment, my mom called out from the house, come on in the house, boys, and have some dinner. And so we all sat down at the table and started eating. Tom and I felt so proud of ourselves. Not long after that, my dad said something like, why is there so much smoke in the backyard? I looked at Tom and he looked at me. And in building the volcano, we did not take into account the low-lying branches from a tree that stood next to the sandbox. How were we to know such branches would burn so nicely? I'll admit it, Tom and I got into all kinds of things. You might even say we were a bit defiant at times. And being defiant is part of childhood and even adulthood for a few. Now, defiance certainly can be a really bad thing and lead to all kinds of interpersonal and social problems, even tragedies. But I have to wonder, is defiance something we always need to avoid? Now, the word defiance comes from an old Middle English word meaning to disavow or to resist. And certainly defiance connotes such things, but it also means to challenge the power of something, to confront, to do something believed to be impossible or to rebel against. This week, there was a great little story in the New York Times. You may have heard it or read it. It was picked up by a lot of news agencies. And here's what the Times said with slight adaptations. Around the world, billions are staying home to curb the spread of the coronavirus, except for medical personnel, police officers, pharmacists, and grocery store workers, among others, who have been deemed essential workers in many places. In New Zealand, that list grew after the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, announced Monday this week that the Easter Bunny is considered an essential worker, too. 
Miss Ardern, the Prime Minister, interjected this levity into a serious situation and sought to soothe anxious children. Well, personally, I commend and applaud the Prime Minister for doing this. And while it might seem trite to us, I'm sure it doesn't feel that way to many children. By taking this act, she certainly was challenging the power of something. She was challenging the power of fears and worries that children experience. And by that definition, her act was one of defiance, even if just a small one. Now, my hunch is that most of us are acquainted with or know about people who have greatly defied something or someone, and that such defiance was a really good thing, even a God-given stance for the person to take. Think of just some of the giants of history. Lincoln, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, Helen Keller, and the list goes on and on. And just think of the people history does not record who defied the power of something, who withstood, who confronted. How about the gutsy defiant widows and widowers we have known, who despite great loss, defied the tough odds and rebuilt meaningful lives after the death of their soulmate? How about teachers who buy supplies for their students in districts, which there seems to be little hope? How about the single parent who daily defies challenging economics and sleeplessness? How about the person who gets a terrible diagnosis and defies the odds and fights like hell? How about everyone on the front lines of this pandemic who are showing up and defying risks? For sure, defiance can be a really bad stance to take in life, but to be defiant can be exactly what God is calling us to do. Especially if we consider that the one we have chosen to follow in life, Jesus, was the epitome of defiance. Just take a look at his life. He defied the nature of water and walked on top of it. He defied the devil when the devil tossed temptations his way. He defied a lack of resources when he fed thousands with five loaves and two fish. He defied illnesses that gripped the lives of many people by healing them. He defied weather and told it to calm down. He defied the religious establishment that was much more concerned with the letter of the law than the person standing right in front of them. He defied mean-spirited religious folks and told them that God is love and to let go of their self-certainty and narrow thinking. And he defied death by bringing the only son of a widow, the daughter of a religious leader, and his pal Lazarus back to life. Yes, Jesus spent his life challenging people to do the right thing, confronting injustices, resisting pressure to stray from his life calling, overcoming the impossible, rebelling against anyone or anything that countered God's love. And speaking of defiance, how about Jesus' defiance of death itself on Easter? This last week was Holy Week, and so much of what happened the last week of Jesus' life is recorded well in the Gospels. We know that before he was killed, on Jesus' last night, he had a meal with his closest friends. He gave those who were there a new understanding of some bread and wine. And at the dinner, he washed the feet of his dinner companions to demonstrate that the heart of service is what life is all about. 
And after supper, he prayed and prayed in the garden. It was there he was betrayed by a close follower. And early Friday morning after Jesus was arrested, he was put on both religious and political trials. And as a result, he was condemned to die. And by mid-Friday morning, Jesus was nailed to a cross. And by three in the afternoon, he took his last breath and died. Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb. The tomb was sealed with a huge stone. And deep despair set in for Jesus' followers. The only conclusion they had left to make was that Jesus was a great teacher, a wise man, an astonishing healer, but not more. Like a lot of other amazing leaders at the time, Jesus and the movement he began was over and done with at that moment. Time to get on with life. Well, Friday night, Saturday, and Saturday night passed. And then early the next morning, around sunrise or just before, some women got up and went to the tomb, as would have been the custom. They hoped they could find some people strong enough to roll the stone away from the tomb so they could go inside and anoint Jesus' body with oil to prepare it for a long process of decay. But when they arrived, they discovered the stone had been rolled away. Now, if you read the four gospel accounts of Easter morning in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will quickly notice that some of the details of that morning differ. Clearly, different people who were witnesses focused on different aspects of that Easter morning. But what is intriguing is that the four gospel accounts all share the basic fact that Jesus' body was not present that Easter morning. There is also a consensus that the women who went to the tomb were told that Jesus had risen from the dead, and indeed he had. They were also told not to be afraid as they would soon see Jesus. So they were to run and tell Jesus' followers what had happened. We also know from early eyewitness accounts that Jesus, after he rose, did indeed appear to his disciples and to others in Galilee, Jerusalem, and on a road to a place called Emmaus. We're also told that Jesus appeared on a variety of occasions over several days to well over 500 people after his resurrection. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, as those early eyewitnesses attested to. <clears throat> Before continuing, I believe a bit of context to all these stories is helpful. When Jesus got started with his teachings and healings and confronting injustices, there was a lot happening all around him. Jesus was not the first guy people thought might be the Messiah. There had been others with followers. Other messiahs who people made sacrifices to follow and learn from. But every single one of those other movements around those other supposed messiahs all died out. And they died out because the person they were following died, never to be seen again. People tend not to keep following a dead guy around. Hence the Jesus movement flourished specifically because Jesus rose from the dead. Also, the earliest Christians following Jesus' resurrection had no New Testament. The earliest followers of Jesus did not follow Jesus because of the Bible. They followed Jesus because of what they had experienced firsthand, an empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. And as one person says, Christianity began because nobody ever expected nobody. But that's exactly what happened Easter morning. Peter, Mary Magdalene, and others who believed in Jesus believed in Jesus because of what they saw. I also love what one person writes about Easter morning. The resurrection tells us with certainty 
that there is a future for us beyond death. It tells us that the future we have beyond death is personal. Remember that Jesus shows up after he rose from the tomb and said, it's me, look at me. So the future we have after death is personal, and those we love are part of it. But as you've heard me say many times before, Jesus' resurrection and Easter is not just about what happens to us when we die. It's not just about the assurance that something astonishing awaits us after this life. It's not just about that eternal life with God and those we love is ahead for us. And while the resurrection of Jesus certainly is about all of these things, Easter does something else for us. Easter serves as a spoiler alert. It tells us how our life stories end before we get to the end of our life stories. And because we know how our stories end, it gives us the freedom and the trust to live fully and at peace today without worrying about tomorrow. Said another way, if I know I'm going to be okay in the long run and where I'm headed, I can make my focus the moment at hand because tomorrow is taken care of. Jesus did not die and rise again for us to live helpless, afraid, and worried about what's coming next. Jesus rose from the dead to empower us. You might even say that Jesus rose from the dead to give us the strength and courage to defy when defiance is called for. And I would say right now in the world with this pandemic going on and all the consequences everyone is dealing with, that now is the time for a bit of holy defiance. This Easter, with the power of the risen Lord within us, let's defy fear, the fear this virus causes. Let's defy feeling helpless. Let's defy negative talk and hostility. Let's defy hopelessness. Let's defy rancor and getting worked up politically or chastising others. Let's defy ugliness and selfishness and being self-serving. Let's defy arguments and treating ourselves or others poorly or saying things that sting. Let's defy together anything that is dark. And let's defy this pandemic with something else. This something else has to do with adopting a spirit and a habit of praising God regardless of what is happening in life. To praise God means to love God with passion. It means to express gratitude to God, to honor God, to commend and celebrate God. It means to rave about God and to stand in awe of God. And praising God means to follow God and to trust God in the midst of it all. The great writer Frederick Buechner wrote the following. You praise your new puppy for making its offering on the lawn for once instead of on the living room floor. Maybe you yourself are praised for something you have done. In each case, the praise that is handed out is a measured response. Praising God, however, is another kettle of fish altogether. Praising God is about as measured as a volcanic eruption. And I believe in the midst of what's going on right now that we are called to praise God with the energy of a volcano, a volcano much bigger than the one in the sandbox of my backyard growing up. 
Praising God now in the midst of this pandemic is not about denying the really tough and awful realities happening. It is not about not grieving or pretending everything is just fine. It's not. But praising God will enhance our perspectives and help us get in touch with hope and the presence of God within us. And praising God will help us do something else. It will help us defy this darn virus and all the darkness associated with it. Jesus, I believe, is calling us this Easter to defy all that is bad right now by praising God, by focusing on him, his death-defying empty tomb, and the love of God. Finally, to close, we have a great gospel choir here at the chapel that Paul and Miha put together. They sing, and I love it when they sing, and you may remember that they sang a, soon, a, a tune called Hallelujah Anyhow. I've spoken about it before, and some of you may even remember it. You know, it's a, it's a perfect praise tune for us to keep in mind this Easter. It's a perfect praise tune to keep in mind to help us defy the darkness of this virus. Hear the lyrics, and listen closely to how perfect they are for us this Easter. Hear the lyrics. I believe I'll testify. God's been good to me. Through every test and trial, I've got the victory. The enemy has tried to make his best to make me turn around and bring me down. But God's never failed me yet, so I'm going to stand my ground. No matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, hallelujah anyhow. No matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Now I want you to do something right now wherever you are. I want you to stand up. I want you all to stand up wherever you are. And in a moment, I want you to say with vigor, hallelujah anyhow. I want you to say it with volcanic passion that defies any darkness. So here we go. Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. Jesus Christ is risen. Hallelujah anyhow. And with that in mind, my friends, happy Easter. Amen.